0: Hold up.
1: Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Unfollowing Mum. I am really grateful to have you here as part of this community. And today I have a guest who I'm really excited to chat to. Uh, She is an author and her book, An Adoptee's Journey, Letters of My Life, is what we are going to discuss today. And I think this is going to give a really unique perspective on this discussion around estrangement, around toxic family dynamics, because it's not one that I can offer, but it is something that I think is really important for people to hear about. Her name is Cherry Cherian
0: Hi. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Thanks thank for having me Oh, thank you so much
1: for being here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Yes. So obviously from the title of my book, you've worked out I'm an adoptee. I was adopted at six weeks old. Um, I was back in the 60s when mothers who were just, the only reason they had their babies taken away from them um, was because they were unmarried, usually. Often young, but always unmarried. Um, And the state and the church and society um, forced these mothers to give away their babies. And a good percentage of them, didn't want to and would have kept those babies and would have or would have made wonderful mothers or went on to make good mothers later on. So I was one of those babies. I was born in a mother and baby home. My mother was 16, obviously unmarried. Of course, there wasn't the pill back then anyway. Mm. So, yeah, it took me many years to find my birth family, which I tell about in my book. But that means I was brought up by a different family, by a different set of parents, which was awful for me. But some people had wonderful adoptions, so do not think that everybody's was awful. But mine was pretty rubbish.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's so sad. It really is so sad that there are so many people out there who would have made wonderful mums. But just because they were young or because they were unmarried, they weren't given the opportunity to have that experience with their Correct. child. And those children weren't given the opportunity to have the experience with their parent who really wanted them, but was denied that right and that, that fundamental connection that we have with our children. It's its heartbreaking. It really is. And it's indicative of the times of how much things have changed and how different they are. But when you talk about having a really negative experience with your adoptive family, can you tell us a bit about your experience and what exactly was negative? Because I know with your book, you talk about it being largely centered around motherhood, your parenting of yourself, your experience with a toxic mother who was your adopted mother, and then eventually coming full circle to be able to find your birth parents. So can you talk to us a bit about being adopted into that toxic family?
0: Yes. So um I think society again um pushed those people. Um, why haven't you why haven't you had any children? they These days, people decide, make the decision, we don't want any children, everybody accepts it, that's the life they want. Um, You know, if they want to go ahead and have IVF and adopt themselves because they desperately want children and can't, that's wonderful. But there's a big percentage of people these days that don't want children and great, good for them. Don't Don't be forced into it. They were in that society bit where it was, you got married, you're expected to have children, there was no question of it. So these two people got married, tried for a family of their own, couldn't have one, so went down the adoption process. And I think they were reasonably good people. When we were, my sister and I, my sister was adopted too, two years after me by different parents. A different birth mother had to give away another baby. If I say we, I'm always referring to my adopted sister and I. So the parents were, in my opinion, perfectly good enough for young children because of course you can control and control Mm -hmm. young children can't Mm -hmm. you they've since they've since later on had dogs and that suited them down to the ground and they should have actually just stuck to dogs because you can take a dog where you want you can pick it up you can put it down you can dress it in what you want you can you know what i'm saying yeah a lot of the people listening will know what i'm talking about so they were fine when we were younger but then as soon as you start to get an opinion and become a real person and show your own true colours, you know, things started to slowly change. And obviously, I have worked out that uh, they shouldn't have actually had children. Yeah, one of the classic things for adopted people, they constantly get told you were chosen You were chosen. You should be grateful. You should be grateful. We've took you out of all sorts of horrendous things that could have happened to you. We've given you this wonderful life. We're these wonderful people because we've done this. When
1: actually, in reality, it's not been your experience at all to have these wonderful people. And I think then it's and I'm presuming it's then compounded very much by society saying, oh, well, if you've adopted, you must be a wonderful person because you're giving your home to these children, as opposed to looking at it as it's just a different way of becoming a parent. It doesn't have any bearing on your character necessarily. You're not doing something selfless because you're adopting. You're doing something that is another method of becoming a parent. You are becoming a parent. And all of the trials and tribulations that we know come with parenthood, you will still face, in addition to other trials and tribulations that come from being an adoptive parent. So, when you talk about that, you must be grateful, you must appreciate what we've done for you what was that like growing up and when did those messages start was that something that you had all all of your life yes and it was also a very
0: taboo subject so both of us were told as children because it was advised by the social worker that you did Mm. tell children that they were adopted not everybody did lots of people don't find out till their parents are dead and awful things like that but I will say I will grant credit where credit's due, they did tell us from an early age that we were adopted. Of course, they called it chosen and made it sound like it was some wonderful, delightful Mm -hmm. thing they did. Then it was a taboo subject after that So we weren't ever allowed to ask questions Mm -hmm. about where we'd come from or what they knew about our history or anything. Plus, there was always that um, thing where people say to you, like, oh, you don't look like your mum or Mm -hmm. you don't look like your sister. And we would have got severely told off, possibly whacked if we'd have told them we were adopted. So it was always, oh, I look more like, so I was told, I look more like my mum. And my sister was always told to say, oh, I look more like my dad. Yeah. And so then occasionally we'd tell close friends and that. And occasionally it would get back to the parents. And my sister, I remember her getting it in the neck big time. She got sent to bed with a whack and all sorts of things when they found out she would told people on one occasion. So she probably never did it again. Um, yeah, so it was it was a taboo thing. They wanted people to think we were theirs. They did not want that stigma that they couldn't have their own children.
1: That's really damaging, isn't it? Because I feel like the message that would send to you as a child is that they were almost ashamed of how they came to have you, as opposed to, we just love you so much that you're a part of our family. It's almost like a, well... We're ashamed that this is the route that we had to take as opposed to this is a choice that we made as adults who were choosing to bring two children into their lives. Correct.
0: Absolutely. Um, And of course, you know, mine is, I think, an only an experience of many, many thousands. And I've met lots of people from both sides. I've met lots of adoptees over the years. I've belonged to groups and all sorts of things. Um, And some people have had the most wonderful adoptions where their parents did say, we love you they told them they loved them every day they told them they you know it was the best thing they ever did and it couldn't live without them and you know they just had wonderful lives As, obviously they had arguments like every other normal <laughs> family, absolutely <laughs> but it was normal you know they had normal upbringing and a lot of those perhaps, actually those adoptees don't search they don't mm-hmm. go and search for don't get me wrong some people are just inquisitive so they'll search no matter what um and some people want to know their medical history because we didn't come with any medical history back then my birth mother was told you will never ever be able to see this child again Mm. so that's what they were back then that's what they were all told there was no contact no nothing so it was it you gave them away forever and you never thought you could ever see them luckily the law changed thank goodness and people Mm. were allowed to search but a lot of the people that had wonderful happy adoptions don't search or Mm. they wait until those lovely people that brought them up die And then they search just because they're inquisitive and they want to know that they would never have done it before because he didn't want to hurt in any way the lovely people that brought them up. That's a really interesting and yeah, that's that's
1: really interesting, actually. That's a really interesting perspective because that raises whole questions around the guilt, I guess, the shame, the fear of abandonment. When you are an adoptee, that even in the most healthy circumstances, you would choose not to investigate that because you don't want to hurt the people that brought you up. You don't want to make them feel in any way inferior because they did not give birth to you. Even though you view them, even in the most wonderful circumstances, as these brilliant parents who you're so delighted that you, you got to experience your life with, you still feel that fear around hurting them or causing them harm. And don't get me wrong, I think we all, to some extent, kind of fear or worry about hurting our family because we love them and we don't want to hurt them. In a normal dynamic or in a new, in a healthy relationship, you don't want to hurt your, your loved one. Of course you don't. But to have that worry that you would cause hurt By investigating your lineage, if you want to call it that, as opposed to your parents, because they they weren't your parents, They, they might have given birth to you, but you may not view them that way. And it's incredibly complicated. But to view it as almost like a betrayal... To go searching? That's really interesting and speaks to how much we still have stigma around being an adoptee. Correct.
0: That's exactly right. You've hit the nail on the head completely.
1: There is that stigma, isn't there, still around it. Do you feel, you, you touched on at the at the beginning of our chat, that you feel very much uh, it was a case of, not you was unacceptable socially unacceptable to be without children at that point it was you get your job you get your house perhaps with your white picket fence you get your dog you get your, your marriage you get your kids and then that's that's your life done tick complete retire die and i've touched on this before on the podcast because there are so many ways in which we can look back at the previous generations and say actually perhaps you were people that didn't want kids but you've ended up having them because it was societally normal do you feel very much that you're and you talk a lot about your mother being a narcissistic personality and being a toxic mother do you feel very much that she chose to have you for those reasons and almost resented it
0: yes yes mm. yes I mean her talents were cooking she was amazing she pro- probably could have been in today's society again you know she was a push she didn't go to college it was back then she could have been a hotel manager she could have run kitchens. she could have been a chef you know all those sorts of things and uh she didn't have a career she was had to stay at home she was the little wife you know so yeah I think that was all it was all part of it wasn't it so society and the, that generation back then that you know, generational yeah. trauma yeah exactly. yeah
1: It's what's expected and it's that generational trauma and add to that the layer of being adopted. So you've been given the message that you should count yourself lucky because you've been chosen and she's been given the message that she must have children regardless. So even if she can't have them physically, it's you must have children. So we're going to choose these children. There is that layer of expecting gratitude at what point for yourself and presumably for your adopted sister
0: did that really start to take effect uh, probably um age perhaps 10 onwards ish with the things like um perhaps our friends well, we were never allowed to play out in the street and that was a no-no she was that kind of woman so when the children were racing their bikes around the street we lived in a cul-de-sac it was very safe Uh, while they were doing all that stuff and we were helping clean the house and do the ironing and you know we had she was very much um we had to work for her type of type of thing and then there was so you've got so we did that so we had to earn things like her taking us to brownies or taking us to guides because we had to be grateful for that because she was doing that for us. But of course she wanted to do those things because they made her look amazing, sitting in the uh, waiting room at the dancing school, showing off, you know, um, trying to better herself throughout her life, going to church and all the, because she was a wonderful mother, you know. Yeah, it's really, co-
1: it's really common when I speak to people who have a narcissistic parent, to have almost like you've got a Jekyll and Hyde personality. You've got the person that they are at home and the abusive, toxic, really unkind and cruel person that they are at home. And then you have this presentation outside the house. And this is what I think that you can really tell that the, the abuser knows that what they're doing is wrong because if they wouldn't behave the way they behave privately in public they know it's because it's wrong they know it's because they would be challenged on it and that's when you can tell that there is an absolutely it's conscious and it's an intentional behavior so you have this mother who has adopted you did you always very much view her as your mother or were there always rumblings for you where you would think no this is not you've not you're not my mum well
0: Again, as a child, she wasn't too bad. So, so it was all about moving on. Uh, when you reach a teenager, you rebel anyway. That's normal yes. behaviour, isn't it? So that was the time when you start to think, you're not my real mum. Thank goodness there's somebody out there. I, m- I will try and find her one day. One day I will try and find her, you know. But you do just get on with your life. And as long as you've got friends and the things you're doing... You know, I wasn't abu- physically abused other than the odd slap here and the big whack there. So you just... <laughs> You do put it to the back of your mind, don't you? Yes. You just like and to be perfectly honest, until you have your own children, I have found this is my personal view, you do not realise how bad they were, which is yeah. where later on you work out I don't think I knew well I knew she wasn't normal that's difficult to explain but I didn't know understand what was wrong with her really until I you know became a mother myself really yeah and I think that makes a massive
1: difference because for me it was very much the same is that these massive changes in me started to happen when I became a mother and I started to look and think mm, I won't be doing that 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 wasn't acceptable and that's when I started to address things at what point did you are you in you're not in
0: contact with her now Oh no, she's died. Which was which was amazing relief. Why not? Why I've written the book because I had started it before I heard that she died, but I was very wary of who would read it. If she'd find Mm. out things like that, how careful I had to be on what I said. As soon as I found out she died, I found out third hand, but that's another Mm. matter. It was like a massive relief, just like a massive weight had been lifted. So then I carried on writing. And as I wrote, it came out differently from how I probably would have done it if she'd still been alive. I feel that it's a completely honest, truthful account. of love loved the process. It's just been so cathartic. It has just changed me. It really has.
1: Yeah, it's funny that you say that because once you start talking about it and you start being open about it and acknowledging it and accepting it as your truth, because I think you self-gaslight a lot, you say to yourself, no, it wasn't
0: really that bad. And actually, 100%. yeah, it really was. 100%. Totally agree yeah. with you. Totally you agree with you. Plus, also, you've got some people still around you that that knew them and that and thought that they were wonderful because they went to church. They were just a pillar of surprise. <laughs> No, You know, so there's still those people out there. And I've now come to a point where I don't even care if those people read my book. And I've actually made sure some of them read it so that they actually sit back and go, blimey, is that what's, what's going on behind closed doors that we never we never knew you
1: know yeah because there are so many people that will say to you oh but you know they did this for you or oh but it's and for me it's oh but it's your mum but I I guess for you there's the whole additional layer of but not only is it your mum uh but also they chose you and they did all of this for you and how could you turn away from them at what point did you actually become estranged from that adopted family It was
0: one of those, I think over the years, we had gaps where we'd fall out, have a big row, for example, fall out and not speak for ages. And in my book, it it makes me laugh like the different occasions where I was in favor. So I went to this, but my sister didn't come or Mm. my sister was in favor and they all went to that and I didn't come. Like this was adulthood, but uh, young, young adulthood. And this was how we went on. Plus, they were always threatening, you know, well, if you do this, you I'll never speak to you again, all that kind of thing. And then you feel terribly guilty and awful and try and get back to them. And I remember sending them a very lengthy letter trying to explain my feelings and things and... But anyway, it went on like that for quite some time. But they moved away because they lived very, very near me for a lot of my young adult life. They moved away when I'd got children, young children, so small children. They moved to Scotland. And again, that was the first layer of massive relief because I didn't have to see them every day. I didn't have to bump into them in the village where I lived And I didn't have to contact them if I didn't want to. I made the massive mistake. And I bet there's people out there listening to this that will know what I'm talking about. I made the massive mistake of letting them still keep in touch with my eldest son because he did love them. He did have a relationship with them. They always told him they loved him and everything. They never wanted to know any of my other children, but I didn't want him to feel that I'd split that up. I thought that stupidly so stupid I just wish looking back hindsight's a wonderful thing that I'd cut the whole family off but I let him still have contact I let him still go and stay for the summer and he had some wonderful summers and again it all started as he for him it all started about the same time as he got to teenage late teenager when they then started various nasty things to him and being awful to him and stuff and I felt so, so guilty that I'd let him stay in that situation.
1: Yeah, this was one of the things for us. But it, And I'm coming to terms with it myself. And I can say it to you. But if you were to say it to me, I'd be like, mm, I'm not going to accept that. But I very much look at what you've just said there. And knowing what I know about my eldest son and the way in which my mum had acted towards him. But he kept it hidden from us. And he didn't tell us. And that's not your fault. It's not something that you can predict. You think, okay, they'll be different with that because they love him and that'll be okay. And it's not, and it's really hard. And I think as well, I get a lot of, oh, you've you've deprived your children of their grandparent. And I'm like, well, they've got two others and she's a really bloody awful grandparent in some of the things that she said and she's done and her behaviors towards them. I've protected my children from that. And I've also made it very clear to them that when they get older, If they want to have a relationship with her, I will be here and fully support them in that when they're adults and they're responsible for their own well-being and they're able to identify and see what the manipulation is and what the behaviours are. If that comes to a point where they go, do you know what, I'm going to reach out. I'm not going to stop them. I'm not going to be angry with them. I'm not going to fall out with them. I will be here to support them. I'll also be here to support them when it all falls apart. But I will be here to listen and to accept that because that will be their choice as adults. But you can't you can't know that that's how they're yeah. going to behave towards him. And you feel so much as a parent that you're doing what is right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And-, yeah. And, and now looking back, you know, like I said, it's wonderful book bag, isn't it? But I'm so glad I didn't put my other children through that. But they didn't want to know them anyway, which probably mm-hmm. should have run flipping alarm bells, shouldn't it? And he worked it out for himself eventually. Mm. Um, and he's very bitter about them now. Yeah, but it but it took a toll on him and it is it's still if yeah, it still upsets him. Um, yeah. yeah, it I, made a difference to his life, it really did, and, and I feel horrendously guilty.
1: Yeah, but that's something that they're responsible for. Their behaviour is what they are accountable for, not you. You can't be accountable for their behaviour, for the way that they chose to act towards him because you didn't do it and that's the thing but it doesn't change when you're a mum and you want to protect them it never changes because you feel like especially when you've experienced it and that's the thing when you've experienced it and then you can see the cycle repeating and you feel like you should have been able to stop that it's and so again, difficult
0: as you get older you learn so much more and I've learned properly learned what a narcissist is I've read about it and everything I didn't know that's what she was back then, no. did I? And if you were once a narcissist, I was a narcissist. I wish I'd have known that. Because yeah. then I wouldn't have put my son through it because she was never going to change, whether it was me, my sister, my son, was she? She was never going to change. Oh, you don't know these things until you get older and you learn about it and it com- becomes more well-known and you read books and people talk about it. Again, years ago, people didn't talk about it. People never yeah. talk about such things. And you couldn't even say a nasty thing about your mother, could you, to... To some of your friends, some mm. of them you could, but some of your friends you couldn't have even said a nasty thing about them because they'd have either gone back and told their own mother, and then it would have got back to yours, or they'd have told your mother if they if they thought they could or should. Yeah, you know, it was so unacceptable, and it still
1: is. It's still unacceptable. We still have this idolization of the mother figure, and again with that that layer added when you, it's your adopted mother because it's that. Oh, I mean, she's even more saintly now to find that she is actually not the person that is presented on the outside. And it goes to that back to that presenting an image at home that is totally different or presenting a reality at home that is totally different to the reality that you present to other people. And that's so common in narcissistic family dynamics, in toxic family dynamics. People will talk about this wonderful person. And yet, actually, the person that you know is very different. And we we never get the same versions of people. Absolutely, we don't. And you might be wonderful to one person and awful to the next. That's that's normal. We know that. But it's when it relates to your children, there is almost a stigma around any child. And I would imagine especially an adopted child coming forward and saying, actually, no, this person really sucks. So what was their reaction? Or were they alive when you searched out your birth parent? Uh, So
0: so (laughs) I... Of course, I search without telling them. I mean, come on. I'm not, again, some wonderful adopted people have been able to talk to their adopted parents, yeah. tell them they're going to do it. Those parents have probably told them all their lives. We love you. If you want to go and search, we will help you. Yeah. We, and then they meet that parent and they all get, I'm not saying they have happy ever after, but they, mm. they do have conversations. They do meet, they thank each other for doing the part that they played. It happens, I've seen it happen, I know people it's happened to. But it was never going to happen for me, was it? So I searched without, obviously without telling them. Um, my husband was helped me and I did. And I, it wasn't that hard. It's much easier these days, of course, with um, the internet and Facebook and DNA and all mm. that stuff. But I had to go down the, get your records out and have counselling and all that kind of thing, which I did. I wasn't going to tell them ever, but I did tell them. I think it was one of those times when we were trying to make another go of it. having having had a time apart, not speaking. So I tried to be open and think that you shouldn't have secrets because we've always said adoption is secrets and lies, secrets and lies, secrets and lies. It's always secrets and lies because secrets are people don't want you. You don't want people to know that baby wasn't yours. There's just secrets and lies it literally is the adoption story back then hmm. pleased to say it's not like that now but yeah so I didn't you know I tried to be upfront and open and I got my folder out and I got some photographs of when I first met my birth family and I sat them down and I tried to talk to them and I said but you'll be you'll always be my parents you brought me up you know I do love you and I did try my best and they were okay at the time like as in They didn't fly off the rails there and then, but after they processed it, spent a couple of weeks thinking about it, obviously talking about it amongst themselves, then they started making nasty comments, snidey things. Off we went again, back on some, you know, massive falling out session. And I think that was the beginning of the absolute end then, I think, that one. I think, yeah, I don't think we, we ever recovered from that. It was the, that was the icing on the cake, shall we say. Telling them that I'd searched and found my birth family was the icing on the cake that was already a wobbly, wobbly, wobbly cake.
1: That sounds incredibly difficult because what you want to be met with in that moment is love and kindness and compassion gosh that must have been so difficult for you to not only find this family but to dig into the emotions behind having this whole family that you've never had the opportunity to grow up with hearing their story and their point of view around what it it meant to put you into the adoption system why that happened so many questions that you must have had And here are the people who raised you who you need to be supportive, who you need to sit and hold your hand and say, that must have been really hard. Do you want to talk about it? And they've almost met you with a brick wall. And then when they've had time to process it, become incredibly agitated and aggressive about that. That must be really difficult.
0: Yeah. I'm glad I've got some good friends and, you know, close family around me at the time. And in the normal way of things, you would want them to understand and do the bit where yeah we'd love to meet them and you know we're still your parents they can be your they can be your parents too we we'd, they're not going to come in and take over our role and all. you know understanding love and support was what was what you want but I always knew I wouldn't get it which is why I secretly searched anyway and again like I said that was the final straw so afterwards I could at least go around and say to anybody that I wanted to I knew that would be the straw that broke the camel's back. I knew it would be because I could have written the script because I knew what they were like and probably I should never have told them, but I'm glad I have, really. Yeah.
1: When you look back at your upbringing, what was your experience with your adopted father? Was he very much enabling of your mother or was it something that they were both very toxic
0: together? He was nowhere near as bad as her. and I, I As a child and a young adult, I felt quite close to him. I think I was a bit of a daddy's girl. Yeah, 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 I mention it in my book. And again, you have different, like you just said earlier, you have a different relationship. Everybody's is different. My sister's opinions of the, my dad was a totally different one from my sister. She would not be sitting here saying the same things as I'm saying. He just, he was just, he was a very opinionated person. So he wasn't a narcissist. He was one of the most opinionated people you would ever come across. And his way was the right way that's that was his issue in life so when when you got older and you didn't do something that suited him you had to hear about it because his way was the only way and you weren't doing it his way occasionally he knew she was an evil something or other and occasionally he'd say to me you know oh well I always a couple of times he actually said well I always I made the decision when I got married that I would never leave her because my parents split up and got divorced I would never do it no matter what but sometimes I do think I should get a flat and go away. (laughs) They were the sorts of things he was saying to me. So I knew it wasn't the same as her, but as time went on, they did become a bit of more of a unit. Um, As they got older together, they relied on each other. So he put up with what she said and, she agreed with him and you know later on that's how it
1: went yeah there is something in hearing those messages especially are you quite a young child when those things would be said to you
0: yeah, yeah. well no well like again back to the 10, like 11, early teens
1: tweens yeah, time yeah, yeah that's it yeah. yeah when really you're still in that stage where you are developing your own ideas about the world but you also want that security from this healthy family unit where there isn't, there's communication, there's support for each other, there's explanations. Yeah, there's fighting, because let's be honest, we're all humans. That's exactly what happens. But there is not that layer of we just tolerate her behaviour, not that layer of we accept that this is how she acts, and we just have to get on with it. And then expecting You as a child to hear those things and support him, or almost like pitting you against each other, which was very much my experience when I was growing up. I was very much pitted between my father and my mother. And then his wife as well came into the situation because they were separated. So it was a different kind of thing. But it was really difficult to be that piggy in the middle. You say you were a bit of a daddy's girl. Do you feel like
0: that almost amplified the way that she behaved? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Probably, um, but I always felt she felt a little more compassion to my sister. My sister was quite poorly when they had her. She'd got she she was quite a poorly baby. So I always felt she probably bonded with her just a little bit better because she obviously needed her more, didn't she? That baby needed more attention mm-hmm. and more. So, I, so I always felt it was. I always felt it was a bit of a split family that my sister was closer to her, and as children, this is, and I was closer to my dad. Yeah, my sister would tell you a totally different story. But of course, that's the way life really is, isn't it? We don't see anything the same, do we?
1: No, we don't. And that's uh, so common in narcissistic households to hear. And it's called triangulation. You'll know about triangulation where you, you have the one parent who it gets on better with this one and they're almost like the golden child and they're the one that they they really connect with and that they like and then you are a bit of a scapegoat on the outside and they're almost always the parent in that situation pitting you against each other as siblings of oh well you know this is my favorite and it's it's favoritism it creates a really difficult dynamic do you still have contact with your adopted sister
0: yeah so you you've just again you've said something that i've written about in my book which is exactly that the mother did try as she, she actually watched us have a scrap stroke fight once and was like chewing us on because we were doing wow. that girly pulling hair scrapping fighting about goodness knows what rubbish at the time yeah. you do. when you're a young girl you know could have been anything but she actually enjoyed that thing and she was constantly telling me that my sister was cleverer she was more brainy than me and this that and the other and I was probably better at dancing which annoyed my sister or do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean there was that she was definitely always trying to put a wedge between us which of course there was always going to be slightly anyway because we were adopted so we came from different genes we came from totally different families and lives and stuff so what did we got in common anyway you know so it was dead easy for her to put a wedge between us and as ch- and we didn't get on very well at all as children and as right. teens then we had a period where we were okay as young mums like she was a young mum and i was a young mum but then she made and she would tell you herself made the stupid mistake of moving to scotland to be near them mm-hmm. so that's that was 10 years i had none of them in my life at all i didn't have the parents or my sister in my life at all um, they were all in scotland up there doing whatever they were doing. So only the only news I ever gotten any information was when my son went up to like summer holidays and stuff and came back with all these stories. What wonderful time he'd had, or not, whichever. Yes. Yeah, so she succeeded in doing all that. Then my sister had a big falling out, which is her story, not mine. She came back to where we live in the Midlands to live, and um, she met a new partner and she started a whole new life. And then she contacted me on my fiftieth birthday. And so I could have gone one of two ways the night. I? I could have just said, no, I don't want anything to do with that ever again yeah. or give her a chance. And I gave her a chance. And we've had 10 years of getting to know each other properly. And I would say we're very close and we're very good friends and we get on very well. And no one else went through that. What we went through So we've got that much in common if nothing else. We were there, we saw it, we were together. She was very supportive of my book, you know, she didn't, again, she read it and she didn't agree with absolutely everything I put in it. Don't get me wrong, she'd fall out with me over it or anything. <laughs> but she did say that wasn't the way she saw it. Mm. But that's fine because it's the book's my book, it's my memoir, I'm allowed to stay what I thought she can write her own issue yeah it's (laughs) that it doesn't
1: invalidate how you felt about the situation as what you're describing is very much the scapegoat child very much the one who was the outsider the you're not as precious as your sister and that's such a difficult role to play in these dynamics and what I find so much, and the amount of people that I speak to who have been in a similar situation where they've been made to feel like they are somehow lesser to their sibling or they've been made to feel like they're not the favorite, they're not wanted as much or even told in as many words and where that wedge has been driven between them and their siblings. The amount of people that I speak to that have that situation, is huge. And it's almost always the person who is the scapegoat who ends up breaking the cycle and stepping away first. But it's not so common when I speak to people to hear that they've managed to come all the way round. And what I can assume perhaps for your sister is that her experience went from having you being used as the scapegoat deflecting from her to suddenly she was the one in the firing line as well
0: yes you know and obviously if I was in it when a, back then when we were falling it fell out so the 10 years gap I was like she deserves everything she gets doesn't she <laughs> you know yeah you do. <laughs> when you feel like do. You being a bit of a, having a nasty day or whatever but yeah you know we we can talk about it now and uh you're right absolutely right what you're saying yeah she, she then got it in the neck space. eventually yeah. got it in the neck eventually and had to move away and come back away and move back from Scotland back to Midlands and have a whole new life and never yeah. have anything to do with them either ever again that's so good though that you've managed to come back to each other
1: and share that experience but also that you're both at a place in your lives where she can say to you well that's not how I remember it and you can say that's okay because that doesn't invalidate that this mm. is how I remember it and she can say to you oh God, well, I remember that situation being awful and you've said it wasn't that bad and you, she can say but again that's okay because you're not invalidating the way that I remember it absolutely you precisely
0: and yeah I'm glad we are at that we are at that point Yeah, and you do. You do even the exact same situation. You both saw it as differently.
1: And you will do, and you because you're always playing those different roles within that narcissistic family dynamic. That is is what happens. You are triangulated into those different roles, placed in those roles, and a wedge put between you because together, that's a a threat to the narcissistic parent. Yeah. What is your experience now
0: with your birth family? Do you speak to them regularly? Yeah. So um, I found them. And I found out that my mum and dad had got married to each Aww. other and had two more girls. So I've got two full sisters Um, and they've, they've stayed together for many years. They're not together now. They did get divorced eventually, but they're still absolutely best friends. They still oh, see each other probably every three weeks or whatever. They still got on really, really well, even now, even though they're not together. Yeah. And I, it's not, again, it's a totally different thing from what we're talking about, but it's very hard to jump into a family that you should have been in but you weren't in so I so I came in as the older sister which really upset the then older sister because she was the older princess sister so she's never been able to accept me properly whereas my younger sister and I we've got a lot in common we've always gotten well it didn't make any difference to her she'd already got an older sister so I was just another sister so we really got on very well and you know, we're great, we're close, we're lovely. I've never really got on very well with that sister. She's a different type of person from me completely. And we've got nothing in common because we didn't grow up together. So we've got no stories we can talk about or any of those kind of things that you do have with a sibling. But back to my mum and dad. I call my mum my mum, I call my dad my dad. They are my mum and dad. If I refer to the other people, I call them by their Christian names. Yeah. Um, or I say my adopted parents. I never say my birth parents now. I just say my parents. It's coming up to 30 years that we've been back together. So Aww. it's just amazing. Um We've had lots of family occasions together. We've done, you know, yes, we've been a couple of tricky times. But then that's normal family life, actually, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> who, doesn't, who doesn't have the, the normal type of comment said or thing you perhaps hurt them by saying or done or not run them when you should have or something. Those things, but that's normal family life. That's what I get with my own family. That's okay, isn't it? Um Yeah. That's the but,
1: normal family life that you crave when you've yeah, been grown up in I, I've kind of got family.
0: it, Luckily for the last thirty years. Obviously I've been an adult and I've got my own life by then, but but I have still, you know, I have got to know them and it's it's has been brilliant. But there's there's always that something there though, that you're never quite, quite connected because you haven't got that history. They didn't they, they I don't know how to explain it I I love them and it's amazing just can't say it's not the kind of relationship I've got with my own children and it never will be it it just can't be I don't think and my mum has still got the stigma because it's all swapped round she had to give me up because she was a young unmarried mother so that was horrendous stigma then and she couldn't tell anyone and you had to they told you to go away and forget about it and never think about it again. And she had to live with it. So that's obviously affected her a bit all her life. But now she's the opposite. She still doesn't go around telling people. And I, I'm not saying she's not pleased about my book, but she won't be singing it from the hilltops because she doesn't want people to know that that's what went on then, I don't think. Because people don't understand now for the opposite reasons. Younger people have no clue. They go how could you have given away a baby? What an awful thing to do. How could you have given your child away? They have no clue of what she went through and what choices she had, which were absolutely none. So... She doesn't tell people because of that. Because the stigma's completely flipped
1: on its head now, hasn't it? And it's it's so sad because it's still victim blaming because she was the victim in amongst all of that. At the time, she was the victim who had a child and her rights as a mother stripped away from her because she was unmarried. And now to us, that sounds so ludicrous. It's like, well, why didn't you make it stop? And it wasn't her responsibility to make it stop. It was a system. and it was a flaw in our society and we see this so often with estrangement the flaw within society in the way in which we enable parents who are toxic to continue to be so by telling children that they must be grateful to their parents that they must defer to their parents that they must be there for their parents and pay back the debt that they owe but what when we look at it what is this debt it's a debt for existence that doesn't make any sense
0: Because they gave birth to you, or or in my case, they adopted me. You know, why should you be grateful for that? You didn't ask to be born. None of us asked to be born, did we?
1: No, we didn't.
0: I have my children because I wanted my children, and you are the same, I know, because we desperately wanted our children and we wanted to do our best for those children and to love those children, didn't we? Yeah,
1: and that's what it is. You choose to have children. You make that conscious choice as an adult – And you have to be responsible for your own choice. And you have to be responsible. And it's such a huge choice. And I do feel for older generations who were not given the opportunity to see that as a choice. I do think that's incredibly sad that it was put on previous generations that that wasn't a choice. It was the expectation. And what we've got is a society where we're changing those slowly we're changing that stigma slowly and saying okay no you can choose there's nothing wrong with not having children you you can choose that's okay that's not the only path available to you but back then that just wasn't a given it was a given that you would have kids it wasn't a thing that you wouldn't yeah so we're left with people who are now suffering the repercussions of parents who never really wanted
0: them yeah Absolutely, yeah. But now, of course, a lot of those are perhaps they're, they're they are the elder generation, and they're relying on these kids to look after them in their old age, run mm. around after them, help them with their health issues and stuff. And it's kind of you owe us, isn't it? You owe yes. us. I'm so glad that I didn't. I cut them off, and that they lived a long way away. Because, yes, they did have health issues in later life, and I think they had to pay people to look after them. And I just used to say, oh, well, you, you reap what you sow, they've turned mm-hmm. into sad, lonely people.
1: Yeah, and that is, I had this not so long ago on, uh, it was on TikTok, I'd created a piece of content, and I'd said around, you don't owe your parents, uh, you, you don't have children, to expect them to become your carer when they're older that's not like if my kids want to look after me when I'm older and I still have that relationship and they have the money time opportunity because you forget my mum used to say this all the time of we had a next-door neighbour who didn't uh whose whose mum went into a home and she used to play Mary Hell of oh how awful she's just abandoned her to a home and I was like mum they both work I don't I don't know what you think she's going to be able to do like how do you care for someone when you've both got to work and that pair what do you do with that elderly person just sit them in the house and hope they don't hurt themselves through the day until you can get there that's not realistic she's got dementia she needs full care and they can't afford to have a live-in like I mean what else are you expecting so there's the ability the afford the affordability the social ramifications so many things that go into it if my children are in a position to choose to do that they choose to then that's wonderful but if they don't that's not because they're bad kids that's not because they failed to owe me or they failed to repay the debt it's because they're living their life and that's what i want them to do i'm raising them to become adults that have their own lives and live their own lives and it's so stigmatized still To say, as you've just said, well, they reap what they sow and I chose to step away. And no, I didn't help them in those elderly years because they didn't deserve it and because they didn't look after me. And I owed them nothing and I wasn't going to allow them to come into my life and poison it further because they were old and needed support. That
0: that doesn't change the fact that they were toxic for me. 100%. 100%. And like you said, exactly the same as as you. If my my family are in a position where they can help me, look after me, do whatever, that would be wonderful. If they're not, they're not. I'll make provision for myself or, you know, I'll make provision for my husband or whatever. I know they'll still visit me because I know they love me because I know that's the kind of relationship we've got. But, but visiting you and doing the best for you well doing the best for you they'll do what their best for me I know they'll mm. do their best for me like you say that doesn't necessarily mean that I can go and live with them or yeah. that they'll see me every single day because I want them to live their lives you've just said exactly the right
1: thing yes yeah you want them to go off and live their lives and the problem with a narcissistic parent is that they don't view you as an individual who is allowed to have a life and to live their life they view you as an extension of themselves or as someone who owes them and who has to bow down to them has to be on call for them and that's just not healthy no no it's not and especially when they have the added layer of being able to hang over you, that they adopted you, that they chose you, that you were their chosen one. And you should be grateful for that because it could have been any kid. Yeah. But you were special. So you specifically owe me. I'm sure that adds a huge other layer to it. Yeah.
0: And have we not all heard the, all what I've done for you saying? You know, <laughs> how many times have we all heard it?
1: Yes. We've all think of this that.
0: know what I'm talking about. You wouldn't be listening to this if you didn't understand what we were talking about, would you? So we've all yeah. heard it. All the things I've done for you.
1: Yeah, all the things I've done for you. Such a loaded statement and hung over the heads of many. Gaina, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. Could you let people know where they can find you and where you can find your book?
0: Yes. So as you've already said earlier, my book is called An Adoptee's Journey. Letters of my life, written by me, and my author name is Gainer Sherry Ann. And I never got into the name business, did I? Explain <laughs> you about my name. So <laughs> no, you d- are, do I explain that. <laughs> so, I'll briefly tell you. So I was born. Bur- bur- I had a birth name, like most adoptees, you were given a birth name by your birth parents, and they chose a special name for me, and then they had to hand me over, thinking they would never ever meet me again. They chose Sherry after the Frankie Valley song Sherry oh. because they loved that song but they named me did it in the french way of sherry because that means darling so oh. so that's what my name was then i got it changed when i got adopted which when i then found my birth records it's actually one of the biggest shocks you get is you suddenly think you were a whole new person a different mm-hmm. person you had a whole birth certificate with that name on that It was a completely different person because you had a first name, a middle name, a surname, all totally different from what you'd grown up with. It it actually came as a massive shock to me. And it took me quite a bit of processing to do that. But then back to my name. So when I was, I think I was 32, I added my birth name by poll as my middle name. because I was never given a middle name anyway. So I'm Sherry Anne. I love that. I really love that you got the opportunity
1: to add that in and to find out that you had this whole other identity. As much of a shock as that might have been, I think that's so powerful for you because it gives you a chance to have a new identity
0: once yes. again. Absolutely, precisely. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head again. So <laughs> back to my book. So yeah, an adoptee's journey: letters of my life. I'm going to show you. How you can get it from Amazon. I do have my own website, so if you just carefully type in, it's obviously. It's hard to spell my name, but it's Gainer then sherry with a double N, author. So it's Gaynor, sherry author at Outlook.com. Um, so I sell them from my own website as well. I do have a Facebook page, Gaynor, sherry author. Yeah, so they're, they're the ways to get hold of my book. Amazon's obviously going to be the easiest, isn't it? It moves on from all of that nasty stuff to finding my birth family and moving on from that to my own family and how I brought them up differently. I feel I am now in my happy place.
1: Oh, that's so wonderful to hear. Thank you so much for taking time to chat to me today. I hope that this will add an element to the discussion that people might not be able to find elsewhere because I I know from my own experience how talking about estrangement and toxic family is incredibly stigmatized as it is and we know that adoption as you've said during this episode is very stigmatized as well marry the two together and it really is a recipe for a huge stigma that I think your book will be lifting massively.
0: Thank you, thank you very much. A friend on my book group. So I joined a book group so that, to help me write my book. She actually was talking to a group of social workers who were involved in adoption about children's, what they called stories, life stories. They yes, keep life stories yes. now because adoption's changed so much, thank goodness. And she actually read some passages from my book to those people which was phenomenal trying to explain to them basically don't do this (laughs) oh that's so wonderful
1: though that's that's brilliant to know and that you're helping a a future generation of adoptees I hope
0: so I hope so but I didn't do it for that I did it for me and I did it for my grandchildren for the future to read about my story so
1: yeah and that's really powerful that you did it for you yeah I did it for me good for you thank you so much Gainer. honestly it's been fantastic speaking to you thank you it's been great
0: talking to you It's been amazing
1: because <laughs> you get it you get most of what I was talking about <laughs> I do I do get it and I think a lot of my listeners will get it as well And I'm really grateful to you for taking the time thank you very much for listening guys I've been Harriet Shearsmith, and you have been listening to Unfollowing Mum